Welcome to uh, Woods number two. This is a new experience for me, uh, uh, being here at Creation Fest. How many of you, just real quick so I, I know the audience, how many of you did, did you, you heard me this morning at Fringe? Raise your hands. Okay, wow, a bunch of y'all. All right. That's awesome. Well, it's so good to be here uh, with you. And uh, if I didn't, I didn't really talk about a little, little bit where I where I'm from and and all of that type of stuff. I am from the city of New Orleans, uh, greatest football team in the nation. Uh, just to make that clear. Um, but here's the here's what I did want to tell you. How many of you are from Pennsylvania area? Raise your hands if you're from Pennsylvania. So Eagles fans, okay. Eagles fans, couple Eagles fans. Are there more Pittsburgh fans? Yeah. Oh, a lot more of those. Okay. Um, well, the Eagles fans. I think there was three of you. Uh, yep. Right over here. Uh, we we actually just hired a kids pastor on our st- on our staff that is from Philly. That's an Eagles fan, and so he is. We just had a big discussion in his orientation about whether or not he was allowed to hang. Eagles gear in his office at the church and I said absolutely not Uh, that is blasphemy we don't allow that type of stuff here in New Orleans so anyway love you guys it's so good to be here uh, with you and I am a lead pastor of Saints Community Church in New Orleans before I I planted started Saints Community Church I traveled uh, full-time for about 15 years 46 weeks out of the year uh uh, 41 different states, uh, some international travel in there included, uh, preaching at camps and conventions and churches and public school assemblies and all kinds of venues. So I'm familiar uh, with traveling, but again, like I said this morning, never had spoken at any kind of a music festival. So this is kind of fun. How many of you, this is your first uh, music festival, okay, first creation fest? How many of you are like regulars, like you do this all the time, okay, yep? All right, so you'll have to help me. If I mess this up, you'll have to say like, hey, no, don't do that. That's not what we do here, uh, so you can help me with that. I wanna, what I want to do uh, today is I want to continue the talk that I started this morning, but we're going to deeper dive into it. So what they told me is this morning was supposed to be more preaching. This is supposed to be more teaching. Now, I am way more of a preacher than I am a teacher, so it's going to kind of come out preaching uh, a little bit, but... What I do want to do is deeper dive into some study and some theology, and I want to talk to you about the theology of suffering a little bit. And so some of you that are like, what's theology mean? Theology is just a study of God, okay? So when you say the the theology of suffering, that would be what does God think about suffering, okay? And so kind of the study of God and suffering. And so I want to talk to you about the theology of suffering, and I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you do when you preach. When you preach, you're trying to lead up to your main theme, and you're kind of building to that. And what I'm going to do as I teach here today is I'm going to start with that premise, and then we're going to build on top of that premise. And, um, and so if you're taking notes, uh, for the four of you that like to do that, write this down, okay? Write this down. Here's kind of our big idea that I want to build on for the rest of my talk here today. The big idea today is an appropriate theology of suffering should lead a Christ follower. For those of us that call ourselves Jesus followers, an appropriate theology of suffering should lead a Christ follower to embrace it because of the long-lasting benefits it brings. 
Okay. Again, here's here's the thesis. Okay, the theme: uh, an appropriate theology of suffering should lead a Christ follower to embrace it because of the long-lasting benefits that suffering brings. I want to just, as we talk about building a base, there's the deconstruction, reconstruction, the movement that is happening right now where we see so many people walking away from faith. So many people that are, that are saying no to church, many, many that are saying no to God, no to Christ, no to being a Christ follower, no to being a Christian. Um, what we have to do is we have to evaluate the foundation that we have laid, okay? So the foundations that we have laid have, have obviously proven in many cases around our country and around our world to be a shaky foundation, okay? We, we've laid too many foundations on come to church uh, because it'll make you feel good because then the second that you don't feel as good at church, you're walking out the door. Come to church so you can have, uh, uh, you can be a part of a perfect community. How many of you know it doesn't take long in any church, no matter how good a church is, to realize there are imperfections at any church, right? And and then one of the lies that we have kind of built a foundation on that we've sold people is the lie of if you come and you follow Jesus. Life will be full of roses and clouds, and you'll skip on air, and you'll walk through life, and you'll never have any problems. The second that you say yes to Jesus and you say that prayer, everything is always perfect. And how many of you, real, how many of you that have been walking with God realize long enough that that is just not true, okay? That, that is just a lie. And, and so what happens is if we build a theology based on when you come to Jesus, your life will be perfect— the second that it's not perfect, people walk away. And so because there's not an appropriate view of appropriate theology of suffering. I really didn't build this theology in my life until in my later years. I actually uh, was traveling full-time, living in Dallas, Texas. Had a little uh, McMansion um, there in Dallas, Texas, and just living a really great life. I was at the point in ministry where I was like sneezing and a thousand people were giving their lives to Jesus and it was just so fun. And then I went to New Orleans to start a church. And the reason why I went to New Orleans to start a church is because when I was a, a junior in, in seminary, I was going to seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a little Bible college called uh, North Central University. And, uh, and so they, they had called me into their offices when I was a junior at North Central and, uh, and they said, hey, you've been chosen to represent North Central University in the city of New Orleans on this missions trip. And here I am, I'm a junior in college, and I'm thinking, well, if I've been chosen, you know, I should probably say yes. And uh, what I found out later is they'd already asked 10 other people to, to go to New Orleans that it's turned them down and said, no, I was number 11. So they kind of tricked me into going on this missions trip to New Orleans. And so I say yes, I get to New Orleans, and when I arrived in New Orleans, I uh, uh, got done. We had kind of a first service there in New Orleans. I'd never been actually, like, I grew up in Indiana, was going to Bible college in Minneapolis. I'd never been even south, and so let alone all the way to New Orleans. So there's, like, southern culture, then there's, like, a whole different kind of culture in the city of New Orleans. And so what happens is after the service is over, this host, the guy that's, like, hosting us 
says to, to me and my buddy that was there with me, hey, I want to take you guys to the French Quarter to eat. I didn't know what the French Quarter was, but I felt good. I felt a witness in my spirit about eating. Uh, and so I said, let's go. And I get in the back seat of this guy's car, and all of a sudden, as we begin to we get a couple minutes down the road, I start crying. Now, I have no reason to cry. Uh, I haven't seen anything to make me cry. I'm just crying. And I always, when I tell the story, I always say, that's okay in a car full of ladies, okay? But when you're with two other dudes and you're just crying for no reason, how many of you know this is like an awkward time for guys, okay? And so here I am. I don't know why I'm crying. They did at that point what guys do best when other dudes cry. They just completely ignored me and pretend like it wasn't happening. And, uh, and so the further we get, the closer we get to downtown and the closer we get to the French Quarter, the more I'm crying. By the time we parked the car in the French Quarter and got out of the car to eat, I'm crying so hard, tears are just streaming down my cheeks, and I can't even, uh, I can't even eat my food. They're, they're, like, they're like, man, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm having a nervous breakdown. There's a bug in my eye. Something is happening. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, and so, man, I finally, I can't even eat my meal. I finally said to those guys, I think God's trying to say something to me. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's trying to speak to me. And, and uh, I said, I'm going to go back to the car. Can't eat my meal anyway. And I'm going to pray and see what God's trying to tell me. And they both, like, in unity, like, said together, we think that's a great idea. Uh, why don't you go back to the car? And so I go back to the car, and I close the car door, and I put my head on the steering wheel. I could literally take you to the spot where this all happened. And for two and a half hours, I bawl my eyes out. And all God says to me over and over and over is, I'm going to give you a love for a city like you've never known before. I'm going to give you a love for a city like you've never known before. New Orleans captured my heart through the Holy Spirit in that moment and I, I begin this love affair with the city of New Orleans. And we started an outreach at Mardi Gras uh, the, the February after that summer missions trip. We estimate about 5,000 young adults have come through that outreach 25 years later. I keep going back to the city of New Orleans. And then in 2010, God says, okay, I want you to leave the road full time and doing what you're doing. And I want you to go start this church in the city of New Orleans. Little did I know that in order to build the church that God wanted us to build in the city of New Orleans, one of the major things that had to happen was for God to shape my view and my theology of suffering. That's really the, the journey that I had to go through. And suffering begs us to ask questions, and here's the big one, that everybody asks at some point in their life, whether a Jesus, they're a Jesus follower or not, here's the big question. Why would a good God allow suffering in the world? Why would a good God allow suffering in the world? Or more personally, why would a good God allow me to suffer? Why would a good God allow you to suffer? And part of this is because we have what's called a North American version of Christianity, okay? And so here's, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's an American formula that we have come up with for American Christianity. Okay, American Christianity goes like this. God plus, here's the equation, our dreams plus success equals 
American Christianity. For those of you taking notes, I'll say it one more time. God plus our dreams plus success equals American Christianity. If you look at a biblical Christianity, the equation's going to look much different than that. See, as Americans, we're like, we add God to our world because we think it'll make our world better. In other words, my life was already going pretty well, and then I just wanted to put Jesus into it to make it go even better because what the reason why God exists is to make my dreams come true and to make me successful and to make me happy. And a lot of people sign on thinking that's why they're becoming Christians. But here's a biblical, more truer version of Christianity. It goes like this. God plus our obedience plus suffering equals biblical Christianity. Aren't you glad you came to this afternoon session to be encouraged? And, and, uh, and you're just like, man, I'm so glad I came to hear this guy talk for an hour about suffering. Okay, So God, again, this is the biblical version, not the American version of Christianity. God plus our obedience plus suffering equals biblical Christianity. And if we get this equation right, we will stop asking the question, is it worth it and is it working? We'll stop asking questions about why doesn't light, why, why isn't life fair and why doesn't God seem fair? I talked about it this morning in my session about the drunk driver that kills the innocent child that was in the other car or the, the guy that was living a good life that has cancer, uh, the the guy that gets fired the, the, from their job that uh, was tithing and doing everything right, doing the, living the way that they should be living and had, had surrendered their finances to the Lord. It's these questions of, God, why does this happen? Why do you allow this bad stuff to happen to, to good people? And so and the answer to that, which we'll get to in a few minutes, is there are, there are actually no good people according to the Bible. So, uh, And so... Suffering, the definition of, a couple real simple definitions of suffering is the state or experience of one that suffers. The state or experience of one that suffers. Here's another definition, okay? This is actually a, uh, a more biblical kind of Greek definition of it. That which one suffered or has suffered externally, a suffering, a misfortune, a calamity, an evil, an affliction. So, what, however you view suffering, okay? There's a lot of words that that encompass. Suffering, misfortune, calamity, evil, affliction. Um, and so here's, let me just start building our theology with this, answering this question. How did suffering come into the world, okay? How did suffering come into the world? Like how did we land with so much evil, so much trauma, so much suffering? How did we, how did we get here? Well, in order to answer that question, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis, okay? Where Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, man, there's no suffering, there's no sickness, there's no sorrow. It is floating on air, skipping on clouds. Uh, you know, God's walking through the garden with them, man. A life is so good. Then this one word comes into the picture called, anybody? Sin, okay? Sin comes into the picture. And as sin comes into the picture, we begin to understand that not only was the evil part of that, we understand that there was evil that came into our world through the first Adam, okay? 
that that there was evil, but along with that evil came suffering. It was it was a uh, it was a calamitous 50-50 approach here, where there was evil and suffering. And here's what I want to help you understand. And if you get this in your brain. You'll have more compassion for people that aren't Jesus followers. Most of the time when people are struggling with sin, it is because they're in a cycle of sin and suffering and sin and suffering and sin and suffering. And suffering leads to, to, for people to try to find answers for their suffering, and so they sin. And then their sin leads to more what? leads to more suffering. It's the cycle that human beings get into. So it's like this. You take the, the guy that uh, that was beat up by his father because his father was an alcoholic and his father was abusive in the home, and he experiences as a child great suffering. But statistics tell us that most of those children that have gone through that kind of suffering then turn to alcohol and sin and they, they repeat that pattern. Why? Because they're trying to numb the suffering. They're trying to numb the pain. And so human beings get on this Ferris wheel of suffering that leads to more sin, sin that actually causes us to have more suffering, suffering that leads to more It's this Ferris wheel that we got into. And so I want to help you understand sin and suffering are combined. They're, they, they are, when, where, where you see sin, you will see suffering. Hello? And where you see suffering, you will see sin. So the first Adam and Eve moment where they eat of the, the tree of good and evil not only brings sin, it brings along with it suffering. And all we have to do is look at the biblical examples, and I'm just going to overwhelm you for a few minutes. You don't even have to, if you want to write these down, you can, but this is an overwhelming uh, amount of suffering that we see in the Bible. Here's the good news. The sufferings of the people in the Bible are going to make you feel a little bit better about your life, okay? And so uh, and so misery loves company, but you're going to hear these sufferings, and you're going to go, man, my life's not quite that rough, okay? Let's just start with a guy named Job, okay? So let's talk about what happened to Job. Well, let me just run through this really quickly. Job's cattle are stolen. Fire falls from the skies and destroys his grains, leaving him with no provisions, Satan kills his children. He kills their spouses and grandchildren. He's stricken with sores all over his body. His friends beg him to curse God. Even his wife tells him to give up. How many of you have had all of those things happen to you? Okay. Good. All right. We're already doing better than Job. All right. So our life isn't as bad as Job's. Now let's talk about John the Baptist who's beheaded. And I'm skipping I'm skipping a lot of people here. I'm skipping Jeremiah. I'm skip. I'm just going quickly here. But John the Baptist, who's beheaded, I, I, I think if we're sitting here, none of us have been beheaded yet for our faith. But then we go to the second most important person uh, in all of Christianity, Jesus being first. The second most important being the Apostle Paul. Okay, let's talk for a second about his sufferings. Well, he was alone. He was shipwrecked. He was attacked by murderous mobs, beaten, whipped, starved, stoned, homeless poor, bitten by snakes, put on trial, imprisoned, betrayed by friends. There's a short list of the sufferings of Paul. Then let's talk about the martyrdom of the disciples. James was beheaded. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and afterward crucified. Matthew was slain with a halberd. James the less was beaten, stoned, and had his brains bashed out with the club. Again, such an encouraging talk this afternoon. Matthias was stoned in Jerusalem and then 
beheaded. Andrew was crucified on a cross which on which the two ends were transversely fixed into the ground. Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. The Apostle Paul was beheaded. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and eventually crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Luke was hanged from an olive tree. And John was ineffectually boiled in hot oil and was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Other than that, the disciples didn't go through anything. Hello? <laughs> so, but here's what I want to help us understand, too. This, the martyrs that we see are not just in biblical times. There are current day martyrs all over the world, y'all, that are dying, suffering, being tortured for their faith. According to research, there are brothers and sisters of ours in Christ that are being persecuted all over the planet. We don't know their names, but listen, their stories must never leave our thoughts. And according to the Open Door Research Center, 260 million Christians experienced significant persecution last year alone in 2021. 260 million people are being tortured and martyred for their faith. I think it's good for us in our American version of Christianity when we say things like we're being persecuted for our faith to remember there are actually people that are dying for their faith all over the world. Hello? So all of this leads to the greatest example of suffering that we have, and that is Jesus himself. He's the most important example we have of suffering. Here's his list. Rejected by his best friends his fo- and his, all of his followers. Homeless. Attacks on his character. Cried tears of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane while his disciples were sleeping. Beaten to a pulp. Spit upon. Mocked. Crown of thorns placed on his head. Crucified. Abandoned by his closest friends. And here's what you have to understand. Jesus understood the theology of suffering because he understood that he had to go through suffering for salvation to take place. So here's what he said in Matthew 26, verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I love it where it says Jesus was, had sorrow and felt trouble. Anybody that says to you, well, a Christian should always be happy. A Christian should always have a smile on their face. You take them to Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 and 38, and say, even Jesus felt sorrow and felt trouble at times in his life. So now that we understand that suffering is biblical, and we understand where it came from, that it started with sin in the garden of Eden, what do we do with this suffering? Well, there's a lot of different things we could try to do with the suffering. Number one, we can deny the reality of pain and suffering. We can deny the reality of pain and suffering. So this would be kind of Christian science. This would be the prosperity gospel, kind of name it, claim it. You know, uh, I had somebody recently that is kind of a part of that that group of people and you know, I've, I've torn my meniscus in my 
my knee on a wilderness trip almost a month ago with my son, and um, and I bumped into somebody that uh, that said to me, I, they they said, "What's going on?" I said, "I just I have a torn meniscus," and they said, "Well, don't speak that, brother. Don't say that out loud." And I was like, "But it's it's actually that's what it is. It's a torn meniscus." Uh, and here's my thought on that too, because I believe in healing. In fact, I've seen thousands of people healed, blind eyes open, deaf ears uh, open, stuttering tongues loose. I've seen arches grow back from feet uh, into feet that were flat-footed. I've seen scoliosis healed. I've seen hundreds, thousands of people healed, okay? Now, not everybody gets healed, but here's my theology on, well, if we don't say that we're sick, doesn't that rob God of the opportunity to possibly heal us? Hello? So let's speak the truth here, okay? So the prosperity gospel, Christian science gospel would tell us just Deny it. Just don't, don't, don't ever say that you're suffering. Just, just deny that suffering even exists. You should walk through life. You should be rich. You should be happy. You should be healthy. Everything should go perfect for you all the time. And I'm going to use a word here, okay, that I would use in my church. Is it okay if I treat you all like, like we're in our church for just a few minutes, Okay. I'm going to use the word, the same word that I did this exact teaching. I've done it one time with my church. I'm going to use the same word for that Christian science prosperity gospel, denying the reality of suffering, and I'm going to use the word crap, okay? I'm going to use the word crap. That's crap, y'all. Hello? That's dung, as Paul maybe would say. It is not true, and it also robs people that buy into that, I can't tell you the hundreds of people I talk to that bought into that type of a gospel where they would just deny the reality of suffering. The first time that somebody goes through deep suffering, it rattles their faith because of that gospel. So that's number one. Or number two, we could admit the reality of pain and suffering, but say, God can't do anything about my pain and suffering. He's powerless. That takes away God's sovereignty. It takes away his power. And so that's probably not the best idea. Number three is probably what we should do with our suffering. Admit the reality of pain and suffering and say that God allows it because it brings benefits to our lives. Okay? Admit the reality of pain and suffering and say that God allows it to because it has benefits in our life. He is sovereign over the suffering. He is sovereign over the suffering. Any of you ever heard of a guy named E.M. Bounds? E.M. Bounds, okay? Really smart guy that wrote like a lot of books on prayer and devotionals. Uh, Let me just read a quote to you that I really feel like fits in this. He said, if trouble fails in its mission, it is either because of prayerlessness or unbelief or both. Being in harmony with God in the dispensations of his providence always makes trouble a blessing. The good or evil of trouble is always determined by the spirit in which it is received. In other words, if the suffering that God has allowed into our life isn't affecting us in a positive way, we should probably take a look in the mirror and understand that it is because of the way that we are receiving that suffering. Okay, let me give you four benefits of suffering. Take a notes, write these down. Four benefits. Four benefits of suffering. Here's four benefits. Number one, 
Suffering brings us closer to Christ. Suffering brings us closer to Christ. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul writing to Rome, Romans 8, 16, and 17. He said, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. How many of you would say, sometimes I prefer that God let me share in the glory, but I'd rather skip the suffering part? Hello? Yep. But they're hand in hand. Paul is saying to the church in Rome, hey, if you want to share in the glory, you've also got to share in the sufferings. If you want to receive the glory of Christ, you've also got to understand that there is the sufferings of Christ that go along with it. Now, this goes back to this. I'm going to make an announcement here, okay? Don't pick up rocks or sticks or anything else and throw anything at me when I say this. Some of you may be like, man, that's deep. I want to let you know that God doesn't exist to make you happy, okay? God's goal in life for you is not for you to just be happy, okay? Some of you are like, man, you're bursting my bubble here. I thought, God, I thought God's, the reason why God existed was to make me happy. Do you want to know why, what God wants for you more than anything? He wants for you to be more and more like Jesus, That's God's goal. God's final goal for all of us is to shape us to be be in the image of Christ, to become more and more like Jesus. And, And part of becoming more and more like Christ is being shaped by those trials, those sufferings, those things that come into our life that if we receive them in the right spirit, we understand part of the reason why God has allowed this in my life is because he's shaping me to become more and more like Jesus. Listen to a smart guy named Nicholas Wolterstoff. He said, authentic life is to image God ever more closely by becoming like Jesus Christ, the express image of the Father. In what respects do we mirror God? In our knowledge, How many want to mirror God as much as you can in the knowledge, having the knowledge of God? Okay, raise your hands. Okay, you can participate. Okay, here's another thing he said. In our love, how many of you want to mirror God in his love? Okay, we want to to mirror God in his image with the way that we love. In our justice, how many of you want to mirror God in our justice? Yep. In our sociality, okay. And then there's another one. He said, in our creativity. How many of you like to mirror God in, in his creativity? Good luck on that, okay? Kind of like where you're sitting right now is created by God, okay? It, it doesn't get much better, all right? So, but the, here's what it, then he said. These are the answers the Christian tradition offers us. One answer rarely finds its way into the list in our suffering. We not only want to mirror God in his love, in his creativity, in his justice, in his sociality, in his knowledge, we want to also add to that list, I want to mirror God, I want to be in the image of God also in my suffering. So Paul emphatically, and I said it this morning if you heard me, writes his mission statement to the church in Philippi, this is probably my life verse, I want to know Christ, the goal of Christianity is knowing Christ. The goal of Christianity is knowing Christ. Come on, amen, y'all. The goal of Christianity is knowing Christ. 
That is why we are following him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Here's the good news. The good news is as we become more like Jesus, we understand that Jesus not only understands our infirmities, he also understands the feelings of our infirmities. How many of you can appreciate the God that not only understands what you're going through, he's the God that understands the feelings that you're feeling because of what you're going through? Isn't that amazing? Jesus felt it all. He understands every situation, every scenario. How do we know that? Because when sin was placed on the cross in Isaiah 53, when it says that he held our sins, it also says he held our transgressions and he held our sorrows. Because again, remember, sin and and sorrow, sin and suffering go hand in hand. So Jesus, in that moment, not only understood the sins that all of us have committed and will commit, he understands the suffering that we have gone through and that we will go through. Come on, we serve a good God, y'all. He not only understands what we're going through, he understands the feelings and how it feels to go through what we're going through. Number two, number two. Suffering provides us with a greater ability to minister to other people. Suffering provides us with a greater ability to minister to other people. It's been famously said, you can't understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. How many of you have ever had someone try to give you advice about a, a, something that was going on in your life that they, you knew they had never gone through that and you literally just wanted to throw up in your mouth? Like, or, you know, punch them or, you know, just, you know, and then help them get back up after you punched them because you love them. But, like, it is hard to minister to people that are suffering if you've never experienced suffering. It is hard. I, I've been through a lot, okay? I told you all about my, my lung issues. That went on two and a half years before I finally went to Mayo Clinic and they diagnosed me and they finally got it right. Uh, I was walking around with a patch on my arm, um, giving myself a, a pick line, exactly, actually what they call it, where you have to give yourself IV antibiotics. I was laying in bed. I had staph infections. I had pneumonia. I had surgeries. I had so much going on. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And one of my doctors in, my, in New Orleans, one of the pulmonologists I was seeing, he, he came up with the conclusion. He said to me, here's what's wrong with you. Here's what's going on in your lungs, why you can't breathe. You're actually allergic to the city of New Orleans. He said, because of the molds and the bayou here in New Orleans, you're, you're allergic to the city. And then he said these words. He said, if you stay here, you will die. You must leave this city or you will die. It's not very many times that I've literally heard the voice of the enemy speak through a doctor. Um, and I thought to myself, if I die, I die. I die in God's will. Okay, but it wasn't too long after that that I went to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. They finally figured out what was wrong with me. They gave me strong drugs and through great medicine and the power of God coming into my body. Listen, I have have news for you now. There is limited traces of any of that disease that was in my lungs. There's limited traces of, of it left. Isn't that amazing? I want to give God glory for that. But not only that, I've had brain, I had brain surgery in 2020, 
okay? So that's a whole other story. I won't get into that long, boring story of how I had to have brain surgery and was on death's door again and, uh, and, and just so many things. But here's what I want to tell you and what I want to help you understand. For me to minister in the city of New Orleans, New Orleans is a city where people have suffered. New Orleans is a city that understands suffering. The people that have gone through Katrina and their stories. Even recently, more recently with Ida right now, we have one of our locations, our church campuses that was completely destroyed by Hurricane Ida last summer. And we're still working on trying to get back in that building. Like people in the city of New Orleans have suffered. And the Lord showed me one day, how dare you think you can minister to these people and you can help them find hope through Jesus when they have suffered and you haven't really gone through too much. And he showed me one of the reasons he's allowed me to suffer was because I, when I'm sitting by the bedside at somebody's hospital, I have a greater authority in my life to pray with them when I understand what it's like to be in the bed on the other end of that prayer. Hello? It gives us a greater ability to minister to other people. Number next. Number next. Number next. Number three. Suffering builds Christian character. Suffering builds Christian character. Whether the suffering is temporary for a season or for a lifetime with a permanent chronic illness or disability, it is a dynamic tool in God's hand for developing spiritual growth and more Christ-like people. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Here's what James said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you would like to be mature in your walk with God? Okay. How many of you would say, I would rather not be an immature believer? Okay. Yeah. How many of you would like to be complete in your walk with God. Awesome. You just signed up to suffer. You just signed up for trials. James, the brother of Jesus, lets us know, hey, if you want to be mature and you want to be complete, you got to rejoice when these trials come because it's developing perseverance in you and God is working in you to make you mature and complete. He's building your character. I call it the dip, okay? The dip is simply, listen, we're, we're going along and, you know, when you first give your life to Jesus, everything is great, man. You're skipping on air. You're floating on clouds. You got the Jesus bumper sticker. You got the Jesus voicemail going on. Everything is great. Your favorite Jesus song comes on the radio when you get in your car and you're like, man, God did, you did that just for me. And uh, and, and so, man, you you the parking spot is open, the one that's right next to the door at the mall, and you're like, Lord, you do love me. You love me so much. I mean, everything is just working out. It's so good and you're running along and then all of a sudden you hit a bump in the road something happens okay the parking spot was was gone and now you're starting to doubt God's love because he made you park all the way okay it, it like 100 cars away in the in the corner lot and and you're going and then something big happens cancer happens a scare happens your child gets sick something takes place and you hit that dip 
And what happens is the people that make it through that season, whether it's a moment or a lifetime, the people that make it through that, you show me somebody in this audience that's been walking with God for 25, 30, 35, 40, 50 years. You show me a mature, complete uh, person that's a little older than I am, that's walking with God longer than I have, that's a powerful, strong, Bible-reading, loving Jesus, like mature and complete believer. And I promise you, if you ask them their story, there was a season that they went through that they they had that bump in the road, and they went through that, and it made them stronger. Hello? Don't dip in the dip. Hello? Don't dip out in the dip. Keep going. Allow God to shape your character. Revelation, uh, actually, number four. Let's go to number four, and then I'll share the revelation with you. Number four, last one, and we're done. We're done. Here's the fourth benefit, okay? And there's more than four, but uh, these are my top four, okay? The fourth benefit for a Christ follower to embrace suffering. Suffering gives us hope for heaven. Suffering gives us hope for heaven. Now, some people might view this as escapism, uh, but let me ask you a question. How many of you were around long enough in the church to remember a time where we talked a lot more about heaven than we do now? How many of you remember a season in God's church where heaven was talked about a lot more than it is right now? Well, what happened? What, why, why don't we talk about heaven more? I mean, this isn't, listen, can we talk about, like, the fact that we gave our life to Christ? We don't have to experience hell to experience God's justice because we're under the blood of Christ that he shed for us and died for us and then rose from the dead. We get to walk on streets of gold. More importantly, we get to be in the presence, the physical presence of Jesus for the rest of eternity. Come on, y'all. Is this not something to be happy about, to look forward to? The hope of heaven is amazing. And I want to think about it. I want to. I think we should take time to dwell on it and meditate on heaven. First Thessalonians says we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Ken Dignan says while we're here on earth, every so often we should pray for God to periodically give us a glimpse of heaven. Keeping your eyes on the reward and blessing of heaven should comfort and sustain every child of God when they face trials and suffering. It serves us as a reminder to not get too comfortable in this world because this world is actually not our home. It's not where we belong. Hello? And so this is not heaven. This is not the end. This is not our home. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Way. Come on, y'all. We're going to get to heaven someday, and there will be no more suffering, trials, persecution. It gives me something to look forward to, and it reminds me this is not my home. This, this home of sin and suffering is not where I belong. I'm going to heaven someday, and there will be no more suffering. Amen? Amen. Yep. Let me, let me just... Come down, and actually, I'll let you guys come to me. But they they asked me in this session to make sure that uh, we do just a couple minutes. We don't have super long, probably five minutes or so. But 
just to take a couple questions, a couple questions from the audience. So who, who has a question along the lines of suffering or if you've got something outside of the scope uh, of, of suffering? Now, let me also say this. I like when Q&A is actually questions, not like I have something I want to add, but you've actually got a, a, a question. Uh, and so anybody that has questions along this line of, of suffering and what it, what it benefits us in our lives. Anybody going once, going twice, suffering, suffering? Anybody got a question about why the Saints is the better football team than the Steelers or the Eagles? Questions? I can answer those questions as well. Okay. Seriously, are there any questions? Okay. Back there, are you for real or are you just goofing around? You got a question, buddy? Nope. Okay. Oh, right back here. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Yep. Well, certainly, yep. Let me just repeat the, your question to them so, so they understand it. So she said, you said that, that suffering starts with sin. Doesn't it also involve choice? Doesn't, doesn't it start with, with choice? And so the answer to that is there are, there are sufferings that happen because of bad choices. No question. Those bad choices would be sin, which is who we are, okay? Uh, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, that uh, not everyone is a sinner, okay? And so we understand that there actually are no good, even the good people are not good, okay? Does that make sense? Like, at the core of the root of all who all we are, we are sinners. We, we are, okay, still in that fallen human race from Adam. And so at the core of our bad decisions is usually going to involve sin, okay? So do you understand how the two kind of coincide? So bad choices that can lead to suffering involve sin, okay? I make a bad decision to do something I shouldn't do that might be based on pride, okay? Uh, I make a bad decision to do something I, I shouldn't do with my sexuality. It's based on a nature of sin, Okay? And those choices come out of that nature. So it's kind of a, they, they go hand in hand. But you also have to be careful to understand that not all suffering is because of bad choices. Okay? Not all suffering is because of bad choices. That there is a segment of suffering that is because of, because of bad choices. But take my example. Okay? Did I make a bad choice to, to uh, suffer with the lung disease that I had or the brain surgery that I went through? Um, no, none of that involved my choices. That just happened. Okay, it's just life. Okay, and uh, and because I live in a fallen, I'm not only a fallen person. We live in a fallen world, and because of the fallen world that we live in, suffering and sickness is a part of that. And so that wasn't based on any choice that I made. Okay, now my tear in my meniscus was made on a bad choice, uh, with me doing something at 47 that I shouldn't have been doing. But uh, we're, we won't get into that story. Okay, and so does that answer your question a little bit? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she said, can we? Can you talk a little bit about perseverance and resilience? That's a great question. Um, I'll say three things. Number one, those skills and tools are severely lacking in many people, okay? Perseverance and resilience. You, you can't imagine when I was going through my sickness in New Orleans, how many of my brothers and sisters in Christ 
were calling me saying, you need to get out of there. You need to leave. It's too hard. It's too hard. And I, I'm not mad at any of them. Those, a lot of them are still my friends. But I felt this perseverance, this resilience building in me. But here's where you got to be careful with perseverance and resilience. This is where I have to be careful. I'm a strong-willed person. I'm a get-it-done person. Okay? There are people that wouldn't have traveled through an airport and flown here to speak with a torn meniscus. Okay? That was never an option for me. And so I'm a strong-willed person. I'm a perseverance. I'm a get-it-done. I'm a, I don't care if I got to stay up all night. I'm a man of my word. Okay? I'm a man of commitment. But where I have to be careful is believing that my own resilience and my own perseverance is going to work. If I'm not careful, then I'm, I'm walking into pride at that point. Well, I'm strong. I'm committed. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to be resilient. No, I have to come back to you over and over, okay, as a type A, choleric, get-it-done get it person. Here's what I got to come back to. No, I'm actually not strong. I have to admit that I'm weak, but I am, in my weakness, he has made, in my weakness, I got one up here. Anybody else? In my weakness, he's made, it's a Bible verse. In my weakness, he's made strong, good, y'all. A couple of you knew it, all right? So perseverance and resilience are key. You just have to make sure that you are making sure that that's not like a, you know, we're good old Americans, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and, you know, I'm going to get this done. No, I'm actually pretty weak if, I wanna, if I'm willing to admit it, but my strength comes from Christ. That's that's where I boast. That's where the glory is. It's in Jesus. Good question. Any any other questions? Yep. That's a good question. Do I feel like as he he's, his question was, do I feel like as Christians we are coming into a time of persecution and suffering? And your your question is specifically for Americans, I would assume, because like, you know, the martyrs that I read that are happening all over the world, they're already there, you know. Um, the answer is yes, and I'm going to say something. I hope you all don't get mad at me, okay. I actually think that it might be one of the best things to happen to the Church of Christ. When did the, when did the church explode in the book of Acts? When there was what? Persecution. I actually think... And I'm, not, I'm talking about real persecution. I'm not talking about like, oh, they made me wear a mask. We're being persecuted. I'm talking about real persecution that happens. I'm not even talking about they're threatening to take our 501c3s away, you know. I'm, I'm not, no, I'm talking about real persecution, torture, martyrs, uh, being jailed for our faith, experiencing what many of our brothers and sisters in Christ experience all over the world, okay. I think there will come a time. I don't know when. I think we're nearing the time more and more when that will be the case. And I think that when that happens, the church of Jesus Christ will experience a revival. And it will explode. It may just cost us some of our lives for that to happen. Aren't you guys glad you came to this joyous, uplifting session today? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Wayne, for encouraging us. One more question and then we're done. One more. One more, right over here. Dead to sin and alive in Christ. Yep, yep. And so that is actually a, 
so you're getting into theology there. That's a good question. Okay, and so the word for that um, is sanctification. And so now if I pulled the audience, there's a lot of different people that think a lot of different things about. So here's the question. Does sanctification happen the moment we say yes to Jesus and become Christ followers? Or is it an ongoing process that God is doing in our life? And my answer to both of those, and usually it's one of two camps, people who believe you're now alive in Christ, you're dead to sin, okay, you have a new life, new body, uh, you know, water baptism is even preached that way, uh, and so does sanctification happen in an instant, or does it last a lifetime, and my answer is yes, yes, okay, I am being renewed, and so my question that I always ask people if they say, well, I'm dead to sin, is did you sin today, okay, like have you sinned in the last... 48 hours, okay? You you probably haven't because you look a lot better than me, okay? Okay, but maybe if I go back to like the last month, okay? Maybe you've, you've thought something. Remember how far Jesus took it with our sins. It's not just if you murder somebody. It's if you think about murdering someone, okay? Some of you had a thought when somebody cut you off when you were driving to Creation Fest on the road, okay? According to Jesus, you just murdered that person, okay? So it, it's... It, it, it really goes back to, do, do we get rid of that sin when we become believers and follow Christ? Yes. Is it also an ongoing process of surrender and submission and teaching of the Holy Spirit, walking with Jesus for us to become more and more shaped in the image of Christ? Yes. I, I, I think it's both and. Uh, and so I, I don't think we can grab one set of scriptures and ignore the other set. I think it's a, a collision of both. Does that make sense? That was a good question. These are good questions. After we got rolling, there were some good questions. Okay? Questions, questions, questions. They told me to be done by 3. Okay, it's 255. I'll take one more. Anybody else got one more question? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. So her question was, what's your take on children that, like, for example, are suffering, and then people will say it's because of the sins of the father, okay? Um, let me say a couple things. Uh, one is, I do believe in rare occasions that that is a possibility, okay? I don't believe it's common. I believe it's, it's, it's probably rare occasions. Let me just say this, though. To say that out loud to somebody, even if it's true, okay, is one of the most unloving, un-Jesus-like things that you could ever say. You know, I, do you see Jesus walking up to someone and saying that? This child, this three-year-old is suffering because, Dad, it's your fault, you know? Um, I, I think that this gets into a kind of a soapbox for me about Christianity right now as a whole, we have to remember that it's the, the way that we address and treat topics is just as important as the topics themselves. You can be right and be wrong all at the same time, okay? You can be on the right side of biblical values and still be wrong in the way that you approach people 
that you love people. Listen, it's not. I'm not backing down from bold truths. I'm not trying to do that. Okay, I'm saying when we have to say hard things that are bold truths, we do that with tears coming down our cheeks, because we believe that that's the way Jesus would treat people because He loves people. Okay, we are not in this to win anything. In fact, most of the time when you study Scripture, Christians weren't winning; they were losing. Okay. But they were the greatest servants. They were there to serve, to love. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And so do I believe that that is possible? I do believe, and I believe it could be proven biblically even, that there's a possibility of that. Do I believe it's on rare occasions and that also is not something that should be shoved in people's faces? Yeah, I, I, I believe that as well. I believe that as well. Okay, good. Okay, one more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do believe, and even that's a good question for me, and I, I would say I, I'm not completely sorted out on that, so I don't want to act like an authority or an expert on it, but say again? Yeah. Oh, she said, do you believe that that last question has anything to do with Old Covenant versus New Covenant? Okay, and um, I will say most of the examples that I would come up with to prove her thesis correctly would be from the Old Testament, so it would be Old Covenant the generations of the father, uh, the sins of the father being passed down and causing suffering. Um, I do know that there was a belief that in the religious day that Jesus lived in that anytime somebody was sick, that it was from sin. It was either their sin or the their sins of their father, the sins of their family, okay, that was making them sick. Jesus really abolished a lot of that uh, really quickly. Um but I, I, I'll say this, though, this question right here is making me want to go home and study right now because I, I don't feel completely settled in my answer. But I think that's a really, the Old Covenant versus New Covenant and that particular question is really good, really. Now y'all are talking theology. This is fun. This is fun. Okay. Hey, have y'all had fun? Did you learn anything? Good. I love you, and thank you so much for letting me come to Creation Fest and be with y'all. And thanks for putting up with me for a whole hour. God bless y'all. You can get where you're going. And remember, the Saints are the best football team in America. Who dat? Who dat? That's what we say in New Orleans. Who dat?